Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Dave Juskow Podcast. That music will tell you that this is the feed from the live performance of the Year of the Godfather, Episode 2. That's right. So, uh, Dave Juskow coming at you from the Dave Juskow Podcast and the uh, beautiful Dave Juskow Podcast Studios in Lower Manhattan. And this is episode two, taped on May 3rd, 2016, in front of a packed house at the Village Underground, which is a division of the Comedy Cellar. And it is called Solazzo to take half the cannoli. That's what the episode's called because it starts off with Virgil Solazzo and goes to uh, the part where you uh, leave the gun, take the cannolis. But, uh, you know, we mix it up. Now, you might have heard episode one, episode two is uh, the continuation. When we last left The Godfather, he was chopping off horses' heads and all that nonsense. We pick up at that point. Now, uh, I think I got a better... I don't know what the deal is with The Village Underground. There's a 22-year-old kid running the the board. Uh, Usually the sound comes in low, but I think I got them to send it to me at a better quality. So hopefully everything will be okay. You know my complaint about actors not using the microphones. Why I am the greatest actor who ever lived and knows how to use a script and a microphone at the same time, I don't know. I enforced for people to use the microphones this time, and I think it was very successful. I I do believe a lot more people spoke up and talked into the mic than last time, but I'm still a little disappointed. But remember, I can't blame. I'm using comedians. I am not using actors. You would think... Trained comedians would be uh, would know how to use a microphone correctly, but remember, they do not work off a script, so I can't really blame. The one thing I can blame, and I'm upset about this, is uh, the, the narrator, who, his name is Rick Croman. He is a delight. I've known him for years, and his voice is amazing. You'll hear that he's wonderful, and people came up to me afterwards, oh my God, that guy's amazing, but he was all over the script, and it was driving me insane. Like He kept flubbing a lot of lines, and... You know, it kind of ruins the show because the narrator is the most important part. And he also brings a lot more of the, uh, I'm always doing the air quotes, comedy to the script. Um, I think a lot of the problem was he might be a little older and was having trouble reading in the dark. So, because I know I saw it, that he had it all uh, highlighted and broken down and what he was going to say. He definitely did the work, but I do believe it could have been a lighting problem. Either way, he's a, he's a very nice and wonderful person. And, uh, you know, besides that, it was okay. I don't think it was as uh, good as the last one, but I think I can make it better the third time. But whatever the case may be, I've said all this on my podcast last week. Uh, We were talking about having the owner of the comedy seller, Gnome Dorman, on the mandolin and his friend playing guitar, Colin Smith. So we have live music on site, which sounded amazing and, uh, and affected the thing brilliantly. Uh, we also have some uh, taped music that so uh, when you hear certain things like when we play this uh, 50 Cent song, we're all like looking at each other when Sonny makes the faux pas of saying like, wait a minute, are you telling me? So those are the things obviously, you know, you're not going to see. I'm playing the whole thing as it is. There's no edits. It starts it again. 
it start they I guess they didn't start rolling. I got nothing but electronical problems my entire existence. They didn't start rolling until I got up on stage, so they don't introduce me. I get up, I do about seven seven, eight minutes of I get the air quotes, stand up comedy. Uh, and then uh, the great Roastmaster General Jeffrey Ross comes up. He does some comedy. He's really funny. And then we start the show. Uh, there's, you know, parts where you'll get why people are laughing, I guess, if you think about it. Like when Luca Brazzi's getting strangled, we put like a little pair of googly eyes on him, you know, those uh, slinky eyes that come out. And he had a really funny death scene. So you can hear the audience laughing, but obviously uh, you won't know. I do have everything on video and I might put them out but you know is it worth putting out a video where people are holding scripts and reading i don't know um uh, the uh, woman who plays Kay adams jen artizi did a really good job my friend irene bremis who i've had on this podcast before did an excellent job mike bichetti is luca brazzi i mean this guy gets an applause break every time he comes on the stage it's amazing mateo lane what a find you know he we have him singing we do a thing where um he just starts singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, get in the mood. I do the backup vocals. They went as as expected. Um, Paul Mercurio playing Bruno Tatali and Rocco did a good job. Lenny Marcus playing Tom Hagen. Again, a little quiet on the mic, but I think he, he did okay. Russ Maneev, amazing as always, playing Sonny Corleone. He's loud. He's You know, you can hear him, so it makes me happy. It's also funny to hear him laughing at the other actors. I actually enjoyed that part. Uh, Dan Natterman is Michael Corleone again. Have sometimes has trouble talking to the mic, but did an outstanding job. I'm going to keep him. Richard Klein, Larry from Three's Company. I mean, this guy is just the greatest guy. He's so cool. He did a great job. He came prepared with like a you know a notebook that he was reading, and he did a really really good job. And and he was just a a doll to work with. And Artie Lang playing Clemenza. And I'll tell you, um, I messed up up a couple of things. You'll hear when he comes on stage. I was playing the Honeymooners theme. And I told him to wait because I, I wanted him to have a big entrance because he doesn't come into the second half. But I forgot to tell the other actor, Russ, playing Sonny, that we were going to do that, to wait, don't do your line yet, just hold on a second until he gets on stage. So I messed that one up. So a lot of mistakes like that, but that's what you get when you are just kind of rehearsing it once and then going for it. All stuff that I uh, plan on making a little better when I have the third one, which will be on August 2nd of this year. Um, and then uh, the fourth one will be in November, and the final one will be in February, making it a true year of The Godfather, and then we'll see what we do after that. I don't think there's anything else I need to tell you, except that uh, I just hope you enjoy it. You know, it is what it is, and I know I say that every time. It's just that, obviously, uh, you know, I'm a little nervous about it. That's all. I just I put it up. Sometimes it makes me cringe because I just want to... Uh, you know, I just want everybody to do it the right way, especially when you air it, something like this. Um, you know, you can definitely hear a lot of the mistakes, but, we, you know, we only rehearsed once and then went up because you don't want to make people take time out of their day for, you know, really nonsense. But the crowd loved it, and they were great, and it was sold out, and I hope to have that uh, again, and everybody was into it and smiling. So hopefully you will like it too. Or again, just already did such an amazing, he's such a good actor and I didn't give him enough funny lines and that's my fault because when I wrote it, I didn't know he was going to be in it and uh, I got to fix that because he's so good and he does it the right way and he knows the Godfather and it really should just be me and him doing the, uh, the show because we know how to do the lines the right way. Uh, anyway, here it is, The Year of the Godfather, episode two. Please enjoy.
Osborne, we're going to do What Happens in Vegas, uh, the Ashton Kutcher classic. Thank you, Artie. Um, no, hello. <laughs> hey, you guys, this is, uh, thank you so much for coming out. This is our second installment of The Godfather. Can't really call it part two, obviously, but we'll call it episode two, not to make it like Star Wars or anything, but it's just episode two. The Godfather, this goes from uh, the meeting of Salazzo to uh, take, uh, we call it half the cannoli because it turns out that, uh, you know, uh, Clemenza eats half the cannoli and that's the gag. <laughs> I spoiled it for you. I did. You know, it's funny, every time I tell people about the show and I'm like, well, it's five parts and at the end, you know, we uh, kill all the heads of the five families and then I feel like I'm spoiling it for everybody. But we all know what happens, right? I know, but why do I feel guilty? It, and it's Jewish Jewishness, I guess. Um, there's nothing I can do. I know, I shouldn't have been doing The Godfather. It's sacrilege, it's sacrilege. I, uh... <laughs> you know, a lot of people, uh, they say, uh, Jessica, what's your deal? Why would somebody in their right mind come up with a project like this? Uh, do you even have a girlfriend or a wife? <laughs> Obviously not, because um, you can't come up with this if you're married or dating somebody. And uh, I say to those people, I say, I have a lady in my life. Her name is the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> The lives of over 240 crewmen live and die in the balance of my every decision. And that line gets me laid constantly. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, it's the opposite. Does not, right, right, Star Trek. Yeah, but it's funny, because uh, uh, I was taking the uh, city bike here today. I'll just play along. And uh, <laughs> went through the West Village, and two gay guys just started screaming at me. And I'm like, what? Just because I have a basket with my cat in it that I'm riding around. I get it, I get it, but <laughs> times have changed. I mean, in the 70s, two gay guys yelling at a you know, straight guy would be, I mean, I never would have seen that coming. A black president, maybe a female president. What the fuck has happened since The Godfather came out? What the fuck is going on? But I, you know, it's like, uh, I keep thinking to myself, there was, there was like no movies when we, I feel there was like no movies before I was born that I, like, I give a shit about. You know, before The Godfather came, there's just nothing. When I was born, there was like, there were no kids movies. Now there's so many kids movies, which are entertaining. And even so, if you have a kid now watching Back to the Future is awesome. We didn't have that. Everything we had sucked. Maybe The Wizard of Oz. And of course, I was afraid of the uh, Wicked Witch of the West, but not the Wicked Witch of the West. I was afraid of the actress who played her, Margaret Hamilton. <laughs> Again, more insight into why this project is happening. My parents were gonna take me to the therapist. He's like, no, he's afraid of this woman, Margaret Hamilton. We don't even know how he knows her. But if you think about it, the black and white version of her where she's like, your dog has been digging, you know, that was scary. And it probably reminded me of some of my neighbors growing up and she was butt ugly and disgusting. That's why she was never heard of again. Actually, until she started doing some Maxwell House coffee commercials in the 70s. You, this is an awesome crowd for me. Uh, so dream comes, this is why you've never heard of me before because we had to get to a certain age. <laughs> yeah, she used to do Maxwell House coffee commercials and then, even when I was little, I was just like, why is Margaret Hamilton, most people say, why is the Wicked Witch? And I was like, but mom, why is Margaret Hamilton doing a Maxwell House? 
and I have to play it out in my head. They're like, okay, the Maxwell House people were meeting, and they're like, who can we get? And maybe the guy who was deciding was like me, and he was afraid of the Wicked Witch, and he never wanted to go to sleep because he'd had bad dreams, so he had to drink coffee. Coffee. Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked. Yes, we'll get Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. Now, Maxwell House coffee is some of the finest. I mean, it was terrifying then. <laughs> and the worst part is... Uh, this goes up until about a year ago when I actually auditioned for the show Hamilton, <laughs> thinking, Lin-Manuel even said to me, he's like, what is your deal, man? I just assumed it was good. Now, where's Aaron Burr when you need him? Uh, now, a lot of you came here today, you, you didn't think you were gonna get the, the Margaret Hamilton stuff, and you're welcome. There's plenty more where that came from. I don't know if you heard of this guy, Rex Harrison. I got material on that, too. <laughs> Might as well go for it all. Again, when we were kids, there was nothing. There was this horrible movie called, when I was a kid, I'm not saying you know, there's 15-year-olds you know, in here, they're not gonna get it. There was a movie called Dr. Doolittle, which was a bag of shit. It was three hours long, and they hire this 90-year-old man, Rex Harrison, who doesn't sing. He doesn't sing. He talks and sings. So he goes, if I could talk to the animals, let me, let me maybe take an animal decree. That's the way he talks. And then the next year, my friend, he wins an Oscar for that. He wins an Oscar, which makes him the most greatest actor of our time. Because he won an Oscar for a leading man in a musical. He sucks. Sorry, I... He's not here, is he? No. What happened to Rex Harris? I want to call him Rex Hamilton, because I'm so into... Him and Margaret Hamilton started going out, and it was interesting, because uh, I'm so insane. Again, just giving you some insight. <laughs> it's working, I think. You're getting the picture. I'm a bachelor, <laughs> obviously. And uh, in my house, I live next door to uh, a couple that has a kid, and sometimes they're kind enough to bake for me. And the wife will come by, and she goes, I've made some brownies. And she's, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. That's very kind. And she looks around, and she's like, do you have company? And I'm like, no, no, I'm just by myself. She goes, well, who are Lee and Holly? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And then it occurs to me all day long. I don't know why it didn't occur to me then, but all day long, I had been going around the house doing this one line out of nowhere from the movie Hannah and Her Sisters as Michael Caine to perfect it for who? It, I wasn't performing anywhere that night. It was just for the enjoyment of my cat who always likes my stuff because she's always like, meow, and I'm like, oh, she loves it because that, that's definitely what that means. And I'm just going around, well, I can't tell, and neither can Lee or Holly. And that's the line. It's stupid. It's not funny. Well, thank you. Did I? So I got it right. So it paid off. But um, no. So yeah, I keep doing that line. All, well, I can't say it. And neither can Lee. Oh, I walk around the house like this all day long, just doing that line. And I'm like, well, I didn't get the neither right. I didn't get the neither. And that's you know what I do in between writing these Godfather things. So. I just like, I don't know, I'm obsessed with obviously doing Michael Caine. I'm always like obsessed that that guy can't do anything quietly. You know, so I thank God he was not in The Sound of Music <laughs> when they're hiding from the Nazis. <laughs> He'd be like, can we sing Raindrops on Roses now? Is that all right? Shh. Nazis are coming. The Nazis? Yes, the Nazis. Yes, 
that's the Nazi. Are you repeating everything? Am I repeating everything you say? So there's that. This is hilarious stuff, right? It's a, yeah. uh, Okay, so uh, I guess we should get the show going on along, all right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm getting you warmed up. I'm going to warm it up a little longer by uh, bringing one of my best pals around. He is the king. He is the roast master general. Please give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Mr. Jeffrey Ross! How about a hand for What's-His-Face? <laughs> Dave Juskow, everybody! Can I use your table? Everything's... There's nowhere to put this. Hold on. Oh, great to see everybody. All right. Juskow, what are you doing? Are you also the Mater D? Are you going to sit down or something? Is this your so-called cast over here? That's great. How you doing, sir? How's this guy in the end? How you doing, man? You look great. How you doing? You look great in the dark lighting from here. <laughs> this is quite an array of people here. Artie, how'd you put a, this together? Was this on Craigslist? How did you? <laughs> <laughs> the Godfather, huh, Just Guy? Good to see you're staying relevant. <laughs> you're on the cutting edge of what kids want to hear. <laughs> Anyway, such an honor seeing you, Dave, and performing in the room that Anne Frank hid in from the Nazis. <laughs> Shouldn't you be doing a diary of Anne Frank in here next week? <laughs> when I was a kid in Hebrew school, I read the diary of Anne Frank, and then I got older, and I read the diaries of the people she shared that attic with, and they all thought she was a real cunt. <laughs> Anne keeps farting up the attic. It's like a gas chamber in here. I hate this bitch. I hope we get caught by the Nazis. I'm going to yell. <laughs> if we don't laugh, we cry, people. I was watching the uh, movie Ron Burgundy, Anchorman 3, a few weeks ago, and then I realized it was actually a Republican debate. <laughs> if Donald becomes president, that's proof that the Illuminati does not exist. He could be our first orange American president. <laughs> president Obama's really broken down barriers for people of color. <laughs> they won't even play Hail to the Chief. It'll be like, oompa, loompa, doopa dee doo. I'm going to build a wall around you. But what do I know? He's won 20 states, Trump. Now he's going after uh, Poland and Czechoslovakia. <laughs> and his running mate, probably, Chris Christie, my governor, the fattest governor in captivity. <laughs> Come on, Krispy Kremes, you gotta love him. He was running for president. He looked like he could barely walk for president. <laughs> Can you roll for president? And what if he won? How would they put a round president in an Oval Office? <laughs> that last CNN debate between Bernie and Hillary, halfway through, I thought they were going to start fucking. 
If she becomes president, I want to be the intern that bangs her on Tuesdays. Why, you want Mondays? I went to the Bernie Sanders rally in uh, Washington Square Park, right where I live. It was pretty intense. Like, we're going to have political revolution, and then we're going out for soup. <laughs> Everybody pays for their own soup. <laughs> I like split pea. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want, Tom Cruise, missing a chromosome? You <laughs> <laughs> just got insulted by Bernie Sanders. Every time Bernie's making a speech, I feel like his mom is going to stand up and the Bernie, fix your hair. <laughs> Thank you, Ma. That's my mother. She's 132 years old. <laughs> she has three jobs, no health insurance. <laughs> she carried me here from the airport today. <laughs> Bernie Sanders is the first presidential candidate ever to call the Pope kid. <clears throat> Who are you voting for, Jessica? Uh, uh, jury still out. Jury, the, the jury's still out? I thought you said Jerry Stiller. <laughs> it's like, interesting write-in choice. <laughs> the one moment about Bernie that <clears throat> really I love was when he was making a speech and a little bird flew down on his podium. Did anybody see that? Landed on his podium and he spoke to the bird and he called it a bird of peace. Then he waved it off, and the bird flew right back to where it lives on Donald Trump's head. <laughs> I roasted Trump, he might be president. I roasted Justin Bieber, he has the number one album in the world. I roasted Charlie Sheen, and he got AIDS. <laughs> You're welcome, America. <laughs> All right, am I done? Can I be done? Can I bring you back up, Cheskow? You're the greatest crowd. David Juskow, everybody. Love you, buddy. Jeff Ross, everybody. The Roastmaster General has left the building. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Jeff, your phone. Now who's roasting? Thank you, Jeff. Jeff Ross again, everybody. Come on, he's the best. Well, I guess we should get underway what we came here for. Fat guy with fries, exactly. They're calling for the classics in the back. All right, so uh, tonight we're doing The Godfather. We're doing episode two. Uh, we're, you know, we're not all greatly rehearsed. All these people have, I have time to do it every day. But a lot of these people actually have careers. Some of them are comics. Some of them are actresses or actors. And they're, you know, they have time. So we are doing the best we can. People will be coming on and off the stage. Uh, hopefully it'll be clear who's playing who. And, uh, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. That's kind of the fun, too. We also have a, a live band today. Yeah. This is Gnome Dwarman, everybody. He's the owner of this establishment. So don't do anything stupid. He's going to be on the mandolin. And by his side, the great Colin Smith on the guitar. It's going to be unbelievable. So uh, now, I guess I will introduce the rest of the cast and who they were playing, and we'll all come up. Yes, okay, well, I guess that's the music, the Tattletales music. I will be playing Don Corleone. Thank you. 
please welcome your narrator, Mr. Rick Crome. Oh, he might be over here, sorry. <laughs> yes, Rick Crome from the Broadway show You're in Town and Footloose and the FX hit Louie, Rick Crome. Please welcome Jen Artizi, playing Kay Adams and Sandra Corleone from the movie The Endgame. Jen Artizi, everybody, isn't she pretty? Playing Mrs. Clemenza. Please welcome the limpy Irene Bremis, everybody, from the movie Catfight. From the Artie Lang Show and the FX hit Louie, playing Luca Brazzi, Fredo, and Tessio, Mike Bichetti. It's gonna take a while for him to get up. Here he is, Mikey. From the Nightly Show and Larry Wilmore and the TBS show clip playing Paulie, Johnny Fontaine, and Alberto, the fruit stand vendor, Matteo Lane. <laughs> playing Bruno Tatalia and Rocco from the Late Show with Stephen Colbert and the podcast Two Chairs and a Microphone, Mr. Paul Macario. Playing Tom Hagen from The Late Show and the hit podcast Misery Loves Company, Mr. Lenny Marcus. <laughs> Playing Sonny Corleone from The Tonight Show and Comedy Underground, the very handsome Mr. Russ Maneev. From America's Got Talent and the Comedy Cellar podcast on Sirius XM, playing Michael Corleone, little Danny Natterman. From the epic, legendary show, Three's Company, the FX smash hit the Americans, just getting off is sold out. Yes, Richard Klein. Just doing the sold out show of Spamalot is King Arthur. Richard Klein, everybody. And of course, last but not least, from the cult classic Dirty Work and the Artie Quitter podcast, it's Artie Lang, everybody! Playing Clemenza! Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. That is our cast. And now it is time to start the show. Please, the, the year of the Godfather. Previously on the year of the Godfather. Vito Corleone and his family celebrated the wedding of his only daughter, Connie, to his new son-in-law, Carlo. At the wedding, Vito, also referred to as Don Corleone, took meetings with an undertaker, a baker, and a singer-turned-actor named Johnny Fontaine. One would think that the most powerful underworld leader in the history of New York City would meet with a different class of people. And ironically, in a few minutes, the King of the Dons is going to meet with a worldwide drug lord named Virgil Salazzo, with whom he doesn't want to do business because Salazzo is, quote, too dangerous. And boy, when you put that into context, because they're all pretty dangerous. <laughs> anyway, we pick up in Don Corleone's office, just after Tom has gotten back from California, where he muscled Hollywood's biggest producer into giving Johnny Fontaine a part in a new picture. Tom did this by cutting off the producer's prized horse's head. Hey, you're not too tired, are you, Tom? <laughs> no, no, I slept on the plane. You slept on the plane? 
Like a baby. Even after you cut off that poor horse's head? Yeah, that's right. Damn, you are one cold SOB. So anyway, I have the Salato notes here. Now, Salato is known as the Turk. He's supposed to be very good with a knife, but only in matters of business or some sort of reasonable complaint. Jesus, this guy sounds like a loose cannon to me. He's good with a knife, but only in matters of business. Then you say, or oh, some sort of reasonable complaint. What does that mean? A neighbor's music's too loud, he's gonna use his knifing skills? The Turk, that sounds like a jerk to me. Anyway, uh, his business is narcotics. He has fields in Turkey where they grow the poppy. And in Sicily, he has the plants to process them into heroin. Now he needs the cash, and he needs protection from the police, for which he gives a piece of the action. I couldn't find out how much. The Tatalia family is behind him here in New York. Now, they have to be in it for something. No, no, they're in it for nothing. Just because he's a great guy. That's a great observation, Tom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, what about his prison record? Two terms, one in Italy, one here. He's known as a top narcotics man. Santino, can you, can you put, the, what are those, Cheetos? <laughs> can you put them down for a second? What do you think? And wipe your hands, I don't want everything all orange. Unless it's an orange, which apparently I'm obsessed with. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. There's a lot of money in that white powder. Tom? Well, I say yes. There's more money, in, more money potential in narcotics than anything else we're looking at. Now, if we don't get into it, somebody else will. Maybe one of the five families, maybe all of them. Now, with the money they earn, they can buy more police and more political, political power, and then they come after us. Now, we have the unions, we have the gambling, and they're the best things to have. But narcotics is a thing of the future. And if we don't get a piece of the action, we risk everything we have. I mean, not now, but uh, 10 years from now. So, what's the answer going to be, Pop? We close in on Beto, contemplating. <laughs> That's right, don't talk over my close-up. I'm thinking very hard right now. Sorry, sir. It's all right. So I'm like, what should I do about this situation? It really seems to be the focal point for the whole film. <laughs> if I say yes, then we all probably all prosper. We can really end the film here. But if I say no, I get two unbelievable death scenes. <laughs> and as an actor of my caliber, I mean, that is just the dream scenario. Also, I'm thinking, how cold is this Tom Hagen guy? He cuts off a horse's head, then he's like, nice, left on the plane. <laughs> and he's like, ooh, we can buy more political power. He's like, ooh, blah, blah, blah. He's definitely not my biological son. I mean, look at Sonny. He's just sitting there eating cheese doodles while we're talking about the family business. And he's like, what's it gonna be, Bob? That's the much smarter thing to do. Tom's a big know-it-all, that crap Mick idiot. <clears throat> We cut to the office of the Genco Pura Olive Oil Company, daytime. The Genco Pura Olive Oil Company was formed by Vito Corleone in the 1920s. It was named after his childhood friend and consigliere Genco Abandando. Its headquarters are on Mott Street, Little Italy. The company became incredibly successful during the 1930s and after defeating Salvatore Maranzano in an event that would later become known as the Olive Oil War. It is now one of the largest oil, olive oil importers in the nation. Ah, uh, the olive oil war. That brings back memories. 
I mean, who doesn't love olive oil? Let's see, there's me, Popeye. I already said me, right? You did. Do you know what Popeye calls olives measurements? I do not. A perfect 57, 19, 19, 19. Well, that's quite a thin frame. Yes, which differs from my wife, Mama Corleone, who's 39, 31, 41. Hey! The fellas know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm saying. Can we get back to right, the... Right, right, uh, let's get back to the yeah. thing. Genco Pura Olive Oil Company offices, daytime. A sit-down between the Don, Tom, Sonny, Fredo, Clemenza, Tessio, and the Turk, Virgil Salazzo. We pick up as the introductions have been made and Virgil Salazzo pitches his plan to the Corleone family. Bene, Don Corleone. Uh, I need a man who has powerful friends. I need a million dollars in cash. I need, Don Corleone, those politicians that you carry in your pocket, like so many nickels and dimes. And what is the interest for my family? 30%. In the first year, your rent should be three, four million dollars, and then uh, it would go up. And what is the interest for the Tattaglia family? Salazzo gives a tip of the cap to Tom as he clearly has done his research. Tom gives a smile, but is dying to let everyone know how clever he is. My compliments. I'll take care of the Tattaglias out of my share. So I receive 30% for finance, political influence, and legal protection. That's, that's what you're telling me. That's right. <laughs> Why do you come to me? Why do I deserve this generosity? If you consider a million dollars in cash and two drinks at the Regal Beagle, just finance. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wrote that. Then salute, Don Corleone. That's right. A million dollars means nothing to me. Look at this. This is a $20 bill. Peter begins tearing up a $20 bill. It means nothing to me. It's a fascination, that's all. Hey, hey, hey. That was my 20. Come on, Don. Vito gets up to pour Salazzo another drink. I said I would see you because I heard you're a serious man to be treated with respect. But um, I must say no to you, and I'll give you my reasons. No offense, Don Corleone, but uh, you already said no. I'd rather not sit through all of your reasons. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's true I have a lot of friends in politics, but uh, they wouldn't be friendly very long if they knew my business was drugs instead of gambling, which they rule as a harmless vice. But drugs is uh, a dirty business. Don Corleone. It makes no difference what a man does for a living, you understand. Your business is uh, a little dangerous. My business is a little dangerous? <laughs> you got some nerve. Look. You're worried about security for your million, the Tatalias will guarantee it. Uh, you're telling me the Tatalias guarantee our investment? Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Thanks to Sonny asking this one question, everyone in that room will be dead in an hour and a half. <laughs> or at the very least, at the end of the second movie. And I'm considering Tom dead 
as well, so as not to acknowledge the portrayal of Tom by George Hamilton in Godfather 3, because, uh, you know, when you're only known for your tan in a movie where you play a gay Zorro, I mean, that's all on Francis Ford Coppola. Perhaps if Coppola would give up the Godfather rights to Disney, J.J. Abrams might be able to give us a hell of a fourth film, don't you think? Back to the action. I have a sentimental weakness for my children. I spoil them, as you can see. They talk when they should listen. And you consider that spoiling your children? Boy, are you strict. Anyway, Senor Salato, my name is final. <laughs> well, by final, do you mean what? You might sleep on it? Or... No, 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 I thought it over, and I really believe saying no to you is the smartest move I've ever done. <laughs> this is a great plan. You see, I usually only meet with bakers and actors, so this meeting was like way out there for me, you know. But I gotta tell you, I really want to congratulate you on your new business, and I hope you do very well. But... No, 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 but nothing. I went good luck to you, too. I mean, I really wish, wish such good things for you. You really seem like a great guy. But... But uh, nothing. I mean, oh, yeah, it, it, as long as your interests don't conflict with my interests, that's all. Thank you. There it is. What did I say? What did I say? The group begins to leave the room. Before Santino can leave, Vito calls him over. Santino, come here. Some other way too. I think your brain has gotten soft from that comedy you're playing with that young facker with the big vagina. <laughs> Never tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking again. Well, what I say? All I said was, "Are you telling me?" And then he cut me off. You know, if you hadn't cut me off, and then we hadn't all started staring at each other, I really think everything would have been fine. You know, this is you. Ooh, all I said was, "Ooh, my pussy hurts." <laughs> I was like sleeping. I was like sleeping with girls that look like my father's hired assassin. Ooh, no, I'm Sunny. Hey, who told you that? God damn it, Tom! All right, get out of here, dummy. Sunny leaves the room as a huge flower arrangement blocks anyone from leaving the room. What? 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 What, what, what is this? Entrance. What is this nonsense? It, it's from Johnny, starring in that new film. Well, take it away. Jeez. I think he spent a lot of money on it. I don't care if it has Christy Yamaguchi skating on it. Take it away. Okay, okay. Take it over there. Oh, and, uh... Vito looks around to see if anyone else is listening and that hopefully no one actually heard him use an old Christy Yamaguchi reference <laughs> he may have stolen from The Simpsons. Uh, tell, uh, Luca Brazzi to come in. We cut to the Don's office. A very menacing Luca Brazzi sits down in front of Vito. The Don is about to put some strategy in play, and Luca is listening intently. He will do anything for the Don. I'm a little worried about this Lazzo fella. I want you to find out what he's got under his fingernails, you know. Go to the details uh, the and... Uh, Make them think that uh, you're not so happy with our family and uh, find out what you can. That sounds like a pretty good plan. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the other, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that uh, the organized crime syndicate knows how ridiculously loyal I am to you. I'm too dumb to come up with a plan like this myself. That's, not, that's a good point, that's right. Uh, okay. Here's what you do. Go to Bruno Tataya and make a pass at him and see what he does. What? Yeah, just come on to him. Say you blow him for coke or something. You know what? The first plan was better. I'll do that. No, no, no. You were right. The first plan was horrible. This one they'll never see coming. <laughs> and it's hilarious. 
The, try and capture it on film if you can. I cannot wait to see his reaction. I'm pretty sure he's going to be angry. Most organized crime guys are pretty homophobic. <laughs> I know. It's classic. Do it! Do it! Do it! I should never pledge my undying loyalty at the wedding. Well, you did, so that's that. <laughs> Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Through the years we all will be together Ooh. if the fates allow hang a shining star upon the highest bar Christmas, have yourself a merry little Christmas, and have yourself a merry little Christmas. We cut to Best in Company, a Fifth Avenue children's clothing retailer, where Michael and Kay have just done a little Christmas shopping. I got something. I, I got something for your mother and for Sonny, and a, a tie for Freddie. And Tom Hagen got the Reynolds pen. It's really great that Kay got presents for all the folks she met for two seconds at a party. <laughs> Interestingly, as you just heard, Kay bought Tom a Reynolds pen. Milton Reynolds first produced the ballpoint pen to the U.S. in 1945, so it was a really great gift to get someone. However, even though the pens were an immediate success, they were a failure as a writing instrument. <laughs> the poor quality of the ballpoint and the bad design of the ink reservoir caused the pens to perform poorly. The pens leaked, skipped, and dropped globs of ink on your paper. This could explain why Tom really wouldn't accept Kay's letter to Michael later in the film. Mm. It wasn't that if he accepted the letter, uh, it could prove in a court of law he had knowledge of Michael's whereabouts. He was obviously still angry about Kay's Christmas gift. You know how angry a leaky pen makes people. And what do you want for Christmas? Me? Oh, just you. Good answer. <laughs> we then cut to Luca Brazzi getting ready for his meeting. Luca is putting his huge vest on and checking his gun. Meanwhile, Vito Corleone is calling for his car whilst leaving his office on Mott Street. Howdy, I'm afraid. I'll tell Paulie to get in the car. We're going. Okay, Pop. I'll have to get it myself. Paulie called in sick this morning. Huh? 
Oh, I don't like the sound of that. Paulie's a good kid. I, I don't mind getting a coffee. We cut to Luca walking down the hallway to the Tartaglia's bar with his trench coat draped over his arm. He sits down at the bar. Luca, I'm Bruno Tartaglia. I know. <laughs> Subicata scotch, pre-war. It'll be both. I don't drink. You know who I am. The two begin talking in Italian, but for the purposes of the idiots performing this, <laughs> we'll just talk in English today. I know you. You have been talking to the Tatalia family, right? I think you and I can do business. I need someone strong like you. I heard you were not happy with the Corleone family. You want to join me? What's in it for me? 50,000 to start with. Not bad. Looks like Luca isn't as stupid as we were led to believe. When he couldn't even pronounce the name of Don Corleone in a wedding scene we did last show. Now he seems to know everyone in the room and has become a tough negotiator. Agreed? Salazzo offers his hand to Luca to shake. But remembering what the Godfather told him to do, he tries to play it cool with a classic ladylike move. Luca takes out a cigarette and waits for a light from a boy like a classy dame would. <laughs> it's the perfect gay move. Bruno goes for it and lights up Luca's cigarette. Bruno then grabs Luca's hand and starts stroking it. Luca's thinking, wow, the Godfather was right. The gay thing is totally working. Unfortunately, Bruno tightens his squeeze as Alasso rams a knife into Luca's hand so he can't lift it. And then Luca is strangled with a garout. After a lengthy struggle, Luca, doing his best Marty Feldman imitation, collapses on the ground. Maybe that wasn't Don's best plan. Thanks for inviting me to daughter's wedding and getting me killed the next day. Shark off. <laughs> we cut. We cut to a city street early morning. Tom Hagen is Christmas shopping. He's carrying a sled and a stack of presents. Carrying a sled when going Christmas shopping in the movies is the equivalent of carrying a paper shopping bag with a stock of celery and a baguette from the grocery store. <laughs> Why a stalk of celery and a baguette in a paper bag came the standard for grocery shopping in American television and movies, I do not understand. <laughs> I don't think I ever purchased both at the same time, ever. Anyway, <clears throat> Tom continues past the store windows. As he walks, someone walks right in his way. He looks up. 
It is a lot so. Tom. Tom Haggett. Merry Christmas. Hey, I'm glad I ran into you. I want to talk to you. <laughs> well, I haven't got any time, family. Christmas football game and stuff, you know. Two thuggish men suddenly appear on either side of him. Ah, oh, bake time, consigliere. Get in the car. The music gets ominous, and Tom Hagen is now scared. Boy, that's ominous. <laughs> yes, Tom is scared, which is odd since he slept so well on the plane after cutting off a horse's head. But Tom, forever the negotiator, thinks fast. I don't mean to be facetious nor didactic in any manner, but if I don't get the sled to the orphanage, the kids will be really disappointed. That's a really shitty Woody Allen imitation. But nice try. What are you worried about? If I wanted to kill you, you'd be dead already. Get in the car. Hagen moves with his escorts, leaving our view on the mechanical store window, gaily bobbing the story of Hansel and Gretel. We hear that the car door shuts and the car drives off. And by the way, the word gaily is in the actual script. So there you go. <laughs> we dissolve to the Don and Fredo, leaving the Genco offices. That's better, Fredo. I'm going to buy some fruit. Uh, okay, Pop. Fredo gets into the car as the Don goes over to the fruit stand across the street from Genco. The proprietor springs to serve him. The Don walks among the trays and baskets and grunts and points. It's a miracle the fruit guy can understand him at all. What is what is this? But that's a pomegranate. What the hell is a pomegranate? Well, it's like a big red orange with a sweet red gelatinous flesh inside containing a many seed. That's disgusting. I'll take three. What's that? That's a green pepper. What's that? What's a green pepper? Really? Just humor me. I am stalling because I'm about to get done down by a couple of troublemakers and, and my back hurts. Okay, um, uh, a green paper is like an unripe fruit of a sweet paper. I'll take four. Ah, Don Corleone, you are my best customer. I hope you live forever. The fruit stand vendor gingerly picks the pieces of fruit up and puts them into a paper bag. The Don pays with a $5 bill. Can I get some change? Uh, you want a change? The Don hears footsteps and suddenly spies some suspicious troublemakers and sees they're starting to advance. The thugs begin running, and the Godfather know he's in big trouble. He begins to run towards the car, yelling at Fredo to start the engines, much like the first Indiana Jones. But he stumbles hilariously over a basket of bananas. The Don falls, draped over the car. The assassins run away, and the Don eventually falls off the car and into the gutter. What a performance. <laughs> Fredo sits down on the curb and just stares. He starts to cry as people come by to also stare at what they assume is a dead body. Fredo continues to cry and finally says, Papa! <laughs> the moment is devastating. The Godfather is dead. 
or is he? I'm here, Papa. If I hadn't asked all those questions at the fruit stand, none of this would have happened. How do you not know what a pomegranate is? I know what it is. I just didn't know they were in season. I worked, I worded the question wrong, otherwise I would have gotten to the car quicker. Oh, okay. We cut to Radio City Music Hall. Evening. Michael Corleone and his girlfriend, Kay Adams, have just come out of seeing Leo McCary's movie, The Bells of St. Mary. Michael, would you like me better if I were a nun, like in the movie? No. <laughs> Michael and Kay had met in college at Dartmouth. However, for some reason, he refuses to call Kay his girlfriend, even though the two have been porking out of wedlock at the Waldorf Astoria for, well, we don't even know how long. It could be days, it could be weeks. This stupid line of questioning, where Kay clearly has run out of things to say, asking Michael if he would like her better as a nun is probably why Michael is so reluctant to make the last commitment. She's obviously an idiot. I mean, in the last episode, Michael made it very clear his family was in the mafia. He keeps introducing her as Kay Adams and is not and not as his girlfriend, and keeps shagging her in his hotel room, and she's like, would you like me better if I was a nun? I mean, what the fuck? I mean, this, because, I mean, this is, the this is the time to say, Michael, where is this relationship going? Because, you know, it, it's like 1945, and if I keep sleeping around, you know, with you out of wedlock, you know, things are, they're only gonna get worse for me. God damn it. Then would you like me better if I were Ingrid Bergman? Now that's a thought. They walk past a little enclosed newsstand. Kay sees something that terrifies her. She doesn't know what to do. Michael still walks, thinking about her question. Michael. My God, woman, no, I wouldn't like you better if you were Ingrid Bergman. What's your deal, anyway? Michael. That's my name, baby, don't wear it out. Kay pulls Michael's arm back to the newsstand and points. So there's a sale of J.C. Penney, so what? No, Michael, the big headline. Oh, the one about my father being murdered? Oh, yeah, I saw that when we walked by. But I'm not sure you thought things were going to end after I pretty much was up front with you about how our family works. Michael picks up the Daily Mirror, which has the headline, Vito Corleone feared murdered. Plus, I wasn't sure if it was my dad, Vito Corleone. It could have been that Vito that owns Corleone Pizza on Emmons Avenue. He flips the pages to reveal an inside article, Assassins Gunned Down Underworld Chief. They don't say if he's dead or alive. No, but right below they give the weather forecast. Looks like rain tomorrow. They run across the street to a phone booth to call Sonny. Sonny, it's Michael. Michael, where you been? Phoning Kay Adams in a hotel room. <laughs> anyway, how is he? Uh, we don't know yet. There's all kinds of stories. He was hit bad, Mikey. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Where you been? I was worried. I told you, Boney K. Adams in a hotel room. <laughs> that was for real? I thought you were joking. Yeah, we're not all like you, Sonny. I'm a one-girl kind of guy. I mean, unless I met someone ridiculously hot in Sicily that speaks very little English. <laughs> and when I mean very little English, like maybe they know the days of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. <laughs> But the odds of that happening are very slim. 
Didn't Tom tell you I called? Nah, look, come home, kid. You should be with Mama, you hear? All right. We cut to Sonny's house after hanging up the phone with Michael. Sonny's wife, Sandra, is distraught once again. I say once again because this poor woman has had to deal with Sonny's massive cock inside every woman in Long Island. <laughs> including the plus-size ones. And now, guns, murder, and babies crying. Oh my God, Sonny! As a loud crash heard off screen from outside the house, the baby starts to cry. Oh, Sonny! Sonny searches for and finds his gun in a drawer. Sonny is creeping to the door after hearing a knocking. Sandra, get back. Go. I'll handle this by asking politely who it is. <clears throat> who is it? And what was that crash before? <laughs> Hey, what was that crash before? Eh? What's the matter with you? I knocked over some garbage cans on the way up because I'm so fat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how do I know it's you? Your mistress has a huge vagina. Come on, son. <laughs> I don't know it's you. Don't fool around. Hey, everybody knows that. All right, let me ask you this. Christmas 1942. Who was it who ate the pie on my mother's windowsill while it was cooling? That wasn't a pie. It was lasagna. And yes, I ate the entire thing. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That was a trick question. Come on in. There's more news about your old man. Word on the streets. Already, he's already dead. Hey, watch your mouth. What's the matter with you? Sonny pushes Clemenza up against the wall. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ, take it easy. Take it easy. Where was Paulie? Uh, Paulie was out sick. He'd been calling sick all winter. How many times have you been sick? I don't know. Maybe three, four times. Three or four times? I wouldn't consider that all winter. I mean, you know, it seems pretty normal in the 1940s to be sick that much. Maybe. Maybe, but I asked Freddie if he wants me to get a different bodyguard. He said no. Listen, do me a favor. Pick him up right now. I don't care how sick he is. If he's breathing, I want you to bring him to my father's house now. You understand? Now. Yeah, you want me to send any people over here? No, no, no. Just you and him. Go ahead. Clemenza leaves thinking, I can't believe Corleone's kid is being so rude to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm Sonny's godfather. That is some serious disrespect, considering how this movie's all about how important, quote, the Godfather is. <laughs> Sonny talks to Sandra, who's holding that annoying, crying baby. Look, uh, I'll be having some people come over to the house, a couple of our people. Sonny's phone's ring. He picks it up. The voice is clearly Virgil Salazzo on the other end. Hello? Santino Corleone. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I'm positive this is you. You're listed in the phone book. <laughs> Plus. <laughs> Plus, I recognize your voice from when you said those seven words that caused all this crap in the first place. Yeah. Sonny waves Sandra off, telling her to get that baby out of there. He's really annoying. We have Tom Hagen. In about three hours, he'll be released with our proposition. Sonny checks his watch, then writes the time onto the kitchen cabinet with a pencil. Whoa, 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 not in my cabinet! Sandra, get out of here! Listen to everything Tom has to say before you do anything. What's done is done. Right, Sonny? Oh, and uh, don't lose that famous temper of yours. Why, you little... I mean, no, no. Oh, wait. They both hang up. 
We cut to an abandoned diner where the kidnapped Tom Hagen is sitting scared and quiet while Salazzo is sipping what appears to be a very delicious hot drink. Your boss is dead. I know you're not in the muscle under the family, Tom, so uh, I don't want you to be scared. I, I want to help you and the Corleones, and uh, I want you to help me. Solazzo hands Tom a drink. Yeah, we got him outside his office just about an hour after we picked you up. Drink it. What is it? It's hot chocolate, and it's delicious. <laughs> oh, my God, this is good. I melt the cocoa myself. Hmm. <laughs> Salud. Salud. So, now, Tom, it's up to you to make peace between me and Sonny. Sonny was hot for my deal, wasn't he? Hmm? And you knew... It was the right thing to do, hmm? Sonny will come after you with everything he's got. Yeah, that'll be his first reaction, sure. <laughs> That's why you gotta talk some sense into him. The Tatalia family is behind me, but all their people. The other New York families will go along with anything that will prevent a full-scale war. Now, let's face it, Tom, with all due respect, uh, the Don, uh, rest in peace, was slipping. Ten years ago, could I have gotten to him? Hey, <laughs> now he's dead. He's dead, Tom, and nothing can bring him back. So you got to talk to Sonny. You got to talk to the Caporegemi, the Tessio, and that fat Clemenza. Hey, don't be disrespectful. Clemenza has a glandular condition. <laughs> it's just good business, Tom. Fine, I'll try, but even Sonny won't be able to call off Luca Brazzi. Boy, he'll be in trouble then. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> let me worry about Luca. <laughs> why'd, you, why'd you giggle like that? Oh, Mom? you'll find out. <laughs> this is awkward. Are you hitting on me? Just talk to Sonny and uh, those other two kids. Even Fredo? I mean, why would I... All right, I'll do my best. Good. Now you can go. Salazzo begins to walk Tom outside. I don't like violence, Tom. I'm a businessman. Blood is a big expense. <laughs> I'm a businessman. Blood is a big expense. <laughs> Nerd. Outside, a car sounding its horn pulls up. Salazzo goes to talk to the people in the car and returns. He's still alive. They hit him with five shots and he's still alive. <laughs> That's hilarious. Remember before when you were like, he's dead, Tom. Nothing can bring him back. <laughs> now you look kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's bad luck for me and bad luck for you if you don't make that deal. <laughs> yeah, it really sounds more like bad luck for you. My dad's going to be really pissed at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you better, you better, you better still make that deal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> you got any more of that hot chocolate? Yeah, fungal. <laughs> We cut back to the Corleone compound. It is night. A car drops Michael off at the gate. He goes inside to find family and friends in mourning. Clemenza is sitting with his wife. He gets up to greet Michael, but it takes him about an hour and a half to get off of the couch because he's so fucking fat. So what do you think? Your mother's over at the hospital, your father. Looks like you're gonna pull true, thank God. It is now later that evening. Sonny, Tom, Mike, Tessio, and Clemenza are now in the Don's office, planning their next move. So what do you think? Too much. Huh? 
It's a lot of bad blood. Salazzo, Philip Italia, Bruno Italia, Gabon. It's too far. I think it's too personal. The Don will consider this all, you know. You're going to kill all these guys? Hey, stay out of this, Mikey. Do me a favor. Salazzo is the key. You get rid of him, everything else falls into line. Now, what about Luca? Salazzo thinks he's, uh... uh... I don't know. If Luca sold out, we are in a lot of trouble. Believe me, a lot of trouble. Has anyone been able to get in touch with Luca? I've been trying all night. He might be shacked up. <laughs> like abroad? Come on. Yeah. Really? Luca? I figured he slept with a different species or something. Like... <laughs> like pets or fish. <laughs> hey, Mikey, do me a favor. Luca never sleeps over with abroad. He always goes home when he's through. What? Bullshit. You're telling me Luca's a player? Get out of town. Try ringing a mic. Okay, Tom. You're consigliati. Now, what do we do if the old man dies, God forbid? <sighs> if we lose the old man, we lose our political context and half our strength. The other New York families might wind up supporting Salazzo just to avoid a long, destructive war. This is almost 1946. Oh, gee, you're a good consigliati. Thanks for letting me know it's almost 1946. <laughs> I never would have figured that out on my own. Do you know the future? Is something big happening in 1947 I don't know about? Are you that excited about the revival of Showboat opening on Broadway? You had to tell me that? <laughs> Why the fuck would you say that? Look, nobody wants bloodshed anymore. If your father dies, you make the deal, Sonny. That's easy for you to say, Tom. He's not your father. Wow, that is like really harsh, Sonny. Ripping me a new asshole and mentioning that it's almost 1946 wasn't enough. I'm as much a son to him as you or Mike. There's a knock at the door. Uh, what is it? Paulie enters. Hey, like, don't you mean, who is it? <laughs> uh, I'm joking, you guys. What is happening? <laughs> Oh, my God. I am in the best mood ever. I feel so much better. Although, don't get me started on what I ate for lunch today. I had, like, two bowls of Special K and, like, half a Snicker bars. God, I feel like such a heifer. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, speaking of heifers. So, what's, like, the good word? Like, what's been, like, happening since I've been gone? What's up? Paulie, I told you to stay put. Oh, right. Jesus. Totally forgot. I'll tell you, if my head wasn't, like, screwed on, am I right? <laughs> the reason I came in, duh, uh, is because, like, the guy at the gate said there was, like, a package, and, like, I wanted to come in here and, like, tell you right away before anyone else did, because, like, that's the kind of loyalty you can expect from Poligato, king of the button men. <laughs> Hey, Tessio, go see with the packages. Hey, Pete, you were right about the Godfall, this kid bossing us around. It's a little rude, right? Tessio exit. And can't believe that before that one made-up line in this play, the great Abe Bogota <laughs> hasn't actually had one line, and, <laughs> and we're, we're an hour into the movie already. So what's up, my Negroes? Like... Do you want me to, like, hang around or, like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. I love you guys. Um, so, like, don't even think for a minute that, like, I don't because, like, I do. Yeah. Hang around. You all right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, great. Sunny. <laughs> you are just, like, a little flower of drama song. Ask if I'm okay. I'm, like, appreciating you. 
Yeah? <laughs> you sure? Polly coughs, perhaps deliberately. <laughs> Polly is reading the room and trying to figure out whether it's better to say he's cured or pretend to still be sick. He's hoping his acting chops won't let him down. Ah! <laughs> well, I mean, like, oh, like, I'm so sick. Ah! Um, I was like, ah, oh, sick, but like, oh my God, so sick. Ah! Oh, so I'm like dying. <laughs> I feel like I have the plague. Ah, oh, the horror! There's some food in the icebox. You hungry? Uh, well, I don't know if, like, from food, air quotes, like, icebox, like, it's really going to help. <laughs> Newsflash, my paisanos. Lasagna does not cure everything. Uh, how about a drink? Have a little brandy that'll help you sweat it out, huh? Go ahead, baby. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose, like, a little brandy would be like, hey, wait a minute. Why are you being so nice to me? The other day you told me I was an asshole for bringing my mother around to meet you. Let's not forget that it was me who oversaw the punishment of those two hot teenage boys who raped the Undertaker's daughter. Excuse me, I mean two teenage boys. <laughs> just because the scene was deleted from the film doesn't mean it didn't happen. Hey, hey, I'm just hoping you feel better. All right, fine. I'm going to, like, take a little brandy like you suggested, and then I'm going to, like, walk out that door. I'm assuming that that will be the end of it. Like, <laughs> I think we're all aware from my performance that I uh, <laughs> have been very sick. Uh, uh, uh. So here I go, the door's closing behind me. Okay, feel better, kid. Bye. <laughs> feel better, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Paulie exits the room and instantly everyone's mood changes. I want you to take care of that son of a bitch right away. Please. Aha! I knew it! <laughs> you know what? That you guys hate me! No, 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 no. We were talking about Salazzo. We just made up our mind about killing him. Oh. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I hate that guy. <laughs> uh, I hate him. <laughs> well, good decision, ladies. Um, <laughs> Salazzo is like the worst. So, like, even his name, <laughs> it's like so stupid. Okay, I'm gonna leave again. See Bye. Bye-bye. Polly exits again slowly. <sighs> Polly sold out the old man. Polly burst through the door again. Ah! <laughs> okay, that time I definitely heard my name. You guys are like going to whack me, aren't you? Oh my god, you guys are like still mad at me for like calling in sick. I'm nursing a fever. Ah! We were not talking about you. Haven't you ever seen Goodfellas? You know everyone we know is either named Paul, P pa Peter, or Paulie. Oh, right, right. <laughs> okay, and like all the girls' names are like Marie. Okay, all right. Well, I am satisfied with that answer. So, Polly out. Two dolls. Uh, that's Strantz. I don't want to see him again. Make that first thing on your list. You understand? Understood. What's the second thing? I don't know. Pick up uh, some cannolis, I guess. Now you're talking. 
Hey, Mikey. Tomorrow, get a couple of guys. You go over to Luca's apartment, hang around, waiting for him to show up. Uh, maybe we shouldn't get Mike uh, mixed up in this too directly. Yeah, uh, listen. Uh, hang around the house on the phone and, and be a big help. Huh? Try Luca again. Go ahead. Tessio enters with a package that he has places on Sonny's lap. Sonny unwraps the package. He is perplexed. It is Luca Brazzi's bulletproof vest, and upon further inspection, it has been used to wrap a fish. I'm, of course, not sure what the surprise was that it was a fish wrapped up. There's no way after a day or two that it wasn't smelling from the very poor wrapping job. <laughs> the hell is this? It's the same message. It means Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Michael hangs up the phone. Well, guess there's no reason to keep calling. <laughs> hey, uh, uh... How weird is that? We were just saying before, do you think Lu Luca Brazzi sleeps with fishes? That turns out he sleeps with fishes. But I should definitely stop calling, right? You know how difficult it is to keep calling with these old-fashioned rotary phones? My finger's numb. Sorry, I just keep talking because I have had like three lines in this whole episode. And I'm supposed to be the lead in this movie. I mean, there's Brando, but now that he's out, it's me. So I just have one thing to say before I go. hoo <laughs> It's morning. Pete Clemenza is just leaving his house. Some boys are outside playing. One is pushing the other in a toy car. Clemenza is waddling down his stoop as he turns to his wife, who's standing in the door. I'm going now. What time will you be home tonight? I don't know, probably late. I gotta look for some hideouts and some mattresses, so whatever, I don't know, however, however long that takes. I thought you said you were gonna kill Paulie tonight. Shh. <laughs> what? Sorry, Paulie. <laughs> Sorry, Paulie. My wife was saying, uh, I thought you said Paulie was ill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes, like, so much sense. Like, kill, ill. Like, <laughs> who announced out? Okay. Yeah. Listen, you fat fuck. Don't forget the cannoli. <laughs> oh, my God, woman. I won't forget the fucking cannoli. <laughs> Clemenza is walking to the car, muttering to himself as he tries to fit into a seat, which is an adventure all in itself. <laughs> don't forget the fucking cannoli. One fucking cannoli. Don't forget it. I don't. I don't need this shit. What are you saying under your breath? Nothing. Orders. That's all I get all day. Orders from Sonny, Tom, my wife. What happened to me? I was so cool as Bruno Kirby and Godfather Part Two. <laughs> I mean, technically, I started all this. The car starts to pull out. Paulie driving. Clemenza in the passenger seat and Rocco Lampone in the back seat. Rocco, sit on the other side. Your, like, big head is blocking the rear of your mirror. That Sonny's running wild. He's thinking of going to the mattresses already. We got to find a spot over on the west side. Try 309 West 43rd Street. You know any good spots on the west side? <sighs> yeah, I'll think about that. Yeah. Well, think about it while you're backing out and driving. Well, yeah, I want to hit New York sometime this month. And watch out for the kids while you're backing out. Paulie brings the car to a sudden halt. Are you going to be like this all day? 
Oh, you know, one thing that's been... Yeah, let me tell you something. It's one thing being a wise ass. You tell Rocco his head's too big. I ask you a serious question if you know any place on the west side. And you're like, okay, I think about it. All right, touche. Later that day, we cut to the boys driving under the elevator train tracks. Hey, Paulie, I want to I wanna go down 39th Street. You pick up 18 mattresses when you get there. Go for the guys. They got to sleep on them, so make sure they're clean. And uh, while, you, while you're at it, bring me the bill. 18 mattresses? Hello! This sounds like a party! You know what? Make sure they're clean, because these guys got to be stuck up there for a long time, you know? Uh, they're clean. They told me that they exterminate them. <laughs> exterminate? That's a bad word to use, exterminate. Get this guy. Watch out when I exterminate you. Uh, you think that's, like, funny or, like, what? Oh, <laughs> you're just teasing, though, right? Because, <laughs> like, I thought we had, like, settled the unpleasantries at the house, and Sunny was, like, so nice to me, and you guys are just, like, fooling around, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Paul, you can't find What the? Did you just ask me if I farted in Italian? Oh, my God, you guys are, like, the worst. Rocco, what did you do? Hey, not me, not me. It wasn't me. No, no, nothing. Well, then it's got to be Clemenza. I mean, like, pff, seriously, you're like 500 pounds. Are you, like, really going to blame it on someone else for farting? Fun fact, up to that last line, the entire <laughs> farting dialogue is actually in the script. <laughs> <laughs> it won Best Screenplay that year. <laughs> hey, now. <clears throat> Pull over, will you? I got to take a leak. Do you want me to, like, pull over in, like, the middle of nowhere? I mean, like, how do we even get to the middle of this field? Weren't we in Manhattan, like, a second ago? <laughs> like, why don't you, like, hold it in so we, like, get to a nice, clean gas station? I can't eat. I can't wait. I just had a huge meal all by myself while you guys waited in the car. If you watched the deleted scenes, I'll do that. <laughs> Paulie pulls over. Clemenza gets out to relieve himself as Paulie and Rocco remain in the car. Ugh, that Clemenza. Maybe I shouldn't have made fun of his way before. Rocco. You don't think he's, like, mad at me, do you? Nah. If anybody should be mad at you, it should be me. Telling me I got a big head, trying to blame the fart on me, you know? Oh, my God. Like, I'm, like, so sorry about that. Like, you're a good guy, Rocco. Like, a really swell guy. Thanks, Paulie. You know what? At this point, I'm supposed to shoot you in the head. Um... I knew it. <laughs> like, I totally knew it. Yeah, you know, but you apologized and everything. And uh, you know what? When Clemenza comes back, I'm going to tell him this whole thing is a big mistake. Hey, you know, I'm supposed to shoot somebody today. I'm going to make my bones, you know. But uh, eh, I'll figure something out. Paulie turns around to talk to Rocco with a huge bite of cannoli in his mouth. Oh, my God, Rocco. You're just like a little sweet pie. By the way, don't tell anyone I'm eating this. Um <clears throat> And speaking of this, like, sweet cannoli, it's, like, super delicious. <laughs> you think Peter will be mad? Rocco shoots Paulie three times in the head. <laughs> Clemenza comes back to the car. Uh, I waddled my seat. <laughs> what took so long? Well, I had to change your heart, but then he did something, and uh, I changed it back. What was that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Hey, who ate some of the cannoli? Uh, uh, you did, earlier. Oh, yeah, I probably did. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, listen, leave the gun. Take what's left over of the cannoli. Yes, your bloatedness. What? So what are we doing? Are we waiting for a cab, or what's going on? 
Rocco and Clemenza walk down the empty highway. Hey, you know, boss, not for nothing, but uh, maybe we dump the body and we drive home. I mean, I'm just saying, like, uh, don't you think the cops are going to recognize the plates on your car? Hey, and it's a very nice car. You know, uh, why would you want to abandon it? I don't really think it's true, I guess. Uh, you know what? I kind of miss Paulie. Oh, my God, this is delicious. What? Oh, oh, my age, you're eating the cannoli. Your wife's going to kill you. Uh, I know, I know. Hey, light bulb over my head. We tell her Paulie ate the cannoli, and that's why we ain't going to be seeing him no more. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, Rocco. Blame it on that fruit. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Thank you, everybody. That's the show for tonight. Let me introduce everybody one by one. Thank you, Rick Crome, our, our lovely narrator. Uh, Jen Artizi. You want to come up and take a bow, everybody? Jen Artizi is Kay Adams. Irene Bremis playing Mrs. Clemenza. You can hear her on the Scuttlebutt every Tuesday on B-Box Radio. The legendary Mike Bichetti playing Luca Brazzi and Fredo. You can see him on the Don't Fuck With Me tour. There he is. He's going to fall into the crowd. Mateo Lane. How about him? You can see him on MTV's Guy Code. Paul Mercurio. You can see him do a live recording of his podcast at the NYC Podcast Festival, The Cake Shop, on May 21st. Lenny Marcus. Lenny Marcus on the podcast, Misery Loves Company, with Kevin Brennan every week, and right here tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Russ Maneev. Russ Maneev at the Paramount Theater in Vermont this weekend. Dan Natterman, you can catch him on the, uh, where's Danny Natterman? There he is. You can catch him on the podcast on Comedy Cellar Podcast on SiriusXM, and he'll be at the Stress Factory this weekend. Richard Klein. Where is he? There he is. Richard Klein in the new Dennis Dugan film, Love Crazy Love. Artie Lang. You can subscribe to his daily Artie Quitter podcast and the upcoming Pete Holmes show on HBO. He will also be at the Paramount Theater this weekend with Russ. Noam Dwarman on the mandolin. And Colin Smith at colinsmithmusic.com. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks to Liz, Memo, and Sam. Thank you, everybody. Have a great night. And how about it? And how about a hand for Dave Jeskow, who wrote this thing. Thank you, everybody. And produced it and directed it. See you next time. August 2nd is the next one.